0: This morning we're starting to look at the book of Ephesians, and as we go through the book of Ephesians, we will find that there's a lot that's said about identity, what is our identity in, especially our identity in Christ. And so I wouldn't really say that's the main theme of the book, but it is something that comes up several times. We'll see it once and again, and this morning as we start the book to look at it, we see that specifically come up with the identity of Paul and the identity of the Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 will be our passage this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord says this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're at the beginning of this letter and we read about Paul, we read who wrote it, We also read about the recipients of it, and we see really their identities. We see the description, and so that's what we want to think about this morning. What's the identity of Paul? What's the identity of these Ephesian saints in the church? And so as we think about Paul, it it tells us he's an apostle by the will of God. And so as we think about the apostles, we remember that there were 12, that Jesus twelve. Chose 12. We read that in our scripture reading this morning in Matthew 10. He called them to himself. He gave them authority. He gave them a message to proclaim and sent them out. And so we remember that every follower of Jesus, every disciple, wasn't an apostle, but he chose 12 specifically to have this role of proclaiming the message, of having this apostolic authority, you might say. And then later in the New Testament, we read about the apostles being given the task of building up the church. So they proclaim the message, they have this uh, God-given power to perform miracles and signs, but they're also sent out to build up the church to be the, the foundations in a real sense of the church. So we read in, in this book, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20, about the household of God being Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So, not only did the apostles have this authority to proclaim, not only did they have the authority to perform miracles, but they, they sent, uh, as they went out, they were laying the foundations for the church so that it would be built up and, and prosper and flourish. And specifically, how did the apostles do that? They did that through their, through their teaching in a very real sense that they were ambassadors. They were the, the mouthpiece of Jesus. They spoke authoritatively so that, uh, like we read in Matthew 10, it says that person's response to them was really your response to Jesus. How you responded to their message had an impact on what was going to happen to you on the Day of Judgment. Uh, if you responded, if you believed the message that they brought about Jesus, you you would be saved. And if you didn't, you wouldn't. And we remember really in a very real sense that we're given that same message to proclaim today. That's the gospel. The same message they proclaimed is the same message we proclaim today that Jesus saves. And we have the, the responsibility, the weight of being sent out by Jesus to proclaim that message to go and make disciples, but that doesn 't mean that we 're apostles uh, again we, we weren 't with Jesus we didn 't see him we weren 't with him during his ministry we weren 't specifically appointed by Jesus and given this power and authority, even though we carry the same message, because really the apostles they had this inherent authority we have it. Uh, When we speak, we speak on the authority of God on the Bible, but they spoke inherently in a very real sense, that when they wrote a letter, as we read in this letter to Ephesians, it was the word of God. God breathed it out through them. He inspired their words so that this is the very word of God that we have. And they had that kind of authority. That's why the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching You remember in Acts chapter 2, that's why we read things like in 2 Peter. and This is a fascinating, really amazing verse in 2 Peter. Peter talks about these letters that Paul has written. Uh, He talks about how Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And so Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. This is Peter writing about Paul, and he says, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. And uh, if you haven't found that to be true yet, you will find that to be true as we go through Ephesians. There are difficult things to understand in Ephesians, uh, but just take comfort. The Apostle Peter thought that about some of the things Paul wrote, so uh, it shouldn't throw us off when there are hard things to get in the Bible. But he continues to say this about what Paul wrote. He said, There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The other scriptures. And so Peter's saying, Listen, when Paul's writing to you, He's writing to you the very word of God. He's writing scripture to you. Just like the Old Testament, the prophets, when they said, thus says the Lord, this is what Paul is writing to you. It is thus says the Lord. This is holy scripture that he's writing. This is what the apostles do. They had this authority, the teaching that they passed on, and that's what built up the church. We proclaim the scripture that already exists. They were proclaiming the message of Jesus authoritatively. And so this is is what the apostles do. This was their God-given role. And we read about Paul. He's an apostle. So this is part of his role, why he wrote so many letters of the New Testament. But we also read that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so you remember with Paul, as with all the apostles, this wasn't something that, that they chose. That this is not something that really that anyone chooses. You don't get to make yourself an apostle, right? This is something that Jesus did. He chose them, as we read in Matthew 10. And we can think about what that looked like in Paul's life, right? Paul wasn't, he wasn't planning on being an apostle, I mean, you might be familiar with his story. He wasn't really even intending to be a Christian. He opposed Christianity. He thought it was the worst thing that could exist, and so he was dedicated to eradicating Christianity. He imprisoned people. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He was, in Acts chapter 9, it says he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples, and it's in Acts chapter 9, that we read about what happened to him. So Acts chapter 9, right after it says he's breathing these threats and murder against the Christians, we read in verse 3 that he, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and this is what happened to him. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so Jesus shows up. Paul sees Jesus and it changes him. It literally changes. It literally knocks him off his horse and changes him, right? And we can read about his conversion in the rest of the chapter and how Jesus then sends him out as an apostle to proclaim the gospel message to the, the Gentile world, not just to the Jews, but to the entire Gentile world. This was his task as an apostle. He was an enemy, but in God's plan, God made him his apostle and sent him out. And that was God's will. And in case we miss that, Paul writes about it In Galatians, he writes about what God was doing in his life. He he shares his testimony, you might say. In chapter 1, he he writes about this conversion. He says that uh, in Galatians 1, verse 11, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to him. He received it straight from him. He didn't make this up. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, and then it continues about how he, he focused on Christ and he proclaimed the gospel. What we see in these verses specifically, Paul writing about his testimony. What happened to him? He said, "This wasn't my plan. He says, "God, verse 15, set me apart for this, that this is His will, His plan for my life." And specifically, we we even read in verse 15 that God set him apart for this before he was born. So, I mean, it can't get much clearer than that. This was not Paul's direction. This was God's will that God was working out in his life. In a lot of ways, it reminds us of the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, what did God say to Jeremiah? He said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. A prophet to the nations. And so just like Jeremiah, also with the Apostle Paul, this is the plan of God that God was working out. God wasn't reacting to Paul's life and thinking, hey, you know what? It'd be, uh, there's this guy, and it'd be great if I change him, and wouldn't that be amazing? It's not a reaction. God had this plan from the beginning, from before he was born, and it shows well, really, it shows God's patience and mercy in the life of Paul, that God could do this. And again, we, we, we don't just get the explanation that God was doing this, that it was his will, but we get the explanation of why he did it. Why would, Paul, why would God choose Paul as an apostle? Uh, we look at 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, and we get the explanation. Why is this? The saying is trustworthy. This is Paul writing. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's calling himself the chief of sinners. But I received mercy for this reason. Why is it that God saved him? Why is it that he sent him out as an apostle? For this reason, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And so we see the reason. Paul tells us the reason. God had a reason. Why is it that when we look at the life of Paul and we see how uh, strongly he was opposed to God and we think about our life or the life of others uh, who are opposed, their, their whole life is against God. And it's not just, you know, kind of against God, not caring really, but they're full force against God and it goes on for a while, right? Maybe it goes on for decades of not wanting to follow God, of being against him. What we see in the example of Paul that God's grace, God's mercy, God's patience is still enough in that situation to save that person. That there is no one who is beyond saving in God's eyes that God is able to save even even Paul who was who was killing Christians who was as as we read in Acts chapter 9 it was like he was persecuting Jesus himself that Jesus is able to then save him and not only save him which gives us hope that he can save us but then he uses him he sends him out as an apostle this one who was so against God God then uses him to proclaim the gospel throughout the world no one is beyond saving no one is beyond being used by god god can change people in this way and so we remember that this is the god we serve that he is able to save souls and if really if we're here if we if we haven't committed our life to jesus then then we need to do that today That's something we can't leave for tomorrow. The Bible talks about today being the day of salvation. And this example of Paul is a reminder to us that there's enough grace, enough mercy, enough patience with God that he will forgive us, he will save us, he will change us and use us for his purposes. And so this is the Apostle Paul. This is his identity. He's the author. This is what he writes, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. God. But there's another identity in this passage, specifically the recipients of the letter, the Ephesians. What is their identity? We read it here. They are called saints to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So as we think about the word saint, there may be a lot of things that come to mind, but the the good place to start is just the literal meaning of the word saint. Saint just means holy one. One who is holy. That's what a saint is. And Paul is saying, listen, it's not just one of you or a few of you at this church. It's all the people in the church that are saints. Every one of them is called a saint. And so just like, and this, I mean, we just need to stop sometimes and think about these things. Just like God is called holy, now the people of God are called holy. They're called holy ones, saints. God, the holy one, holy, holy, holy. The one who is different, other, beyond us, who's, who's perfectly pure. James says he can't even be tempted by evil, right? Uh, we're tempted when we're tempted, whether we give into it or not, there's still some desire in us, still some wants some draw towards sin. God doesn't even have that. There's nothing in him at all that is is evil or wants to go after evil. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly holy. And God now says that that's the identity of those who are his. That you are a saint. You're a holy one. So that God is not like us. He's completely thoroughly good. He's not even tempted to do wrong. He's holy, and we're called holy. Not just that we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. We read that at other places in the Bible. But we are holy. That's an identity of every Christian. And so why is it, why is it that someone is holy? Well, we read the answer here. How do you get to be holy? And specifically, this is, this is really what it means to be a saint. A saint. What makes you a saint? It says, "To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus." So when it says this, "and are faithful in Christ Jesus," it's not saying that there are, there are two categories of Christians. Like there are some saints, and then there are some who are faithful. But really, this faithful in Christ Jesus is an explanation of what it means to be a saint. It's not that you level up eventually to be a saint, but that the saints are the ones who are faithful in Christ Jesus. The ones who, in other words, the ones who have faith. That's what faithful means. It's full of faith. The ones who's trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus. And fundamentally, that's what it means in the Bible to be a saint. It means you believe in Jesus. You put your trust, your faith in him. And so we see this really summed up in places like 2 Corinthians, where it talks about how God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. How is it that we can be sinners and then be made holy and righteous? Was because of what Jesus did on the cross right? Jesus takes our sins, our sins are credited to him, and then he gives us his righteousness. It's credited to us, or the the fancy theological word is it's imputed to us, right? So God looks at us, and now he doesn't see us as sinners, even though we still have sin in our life, but he sees us as holy, as saints. Just as he looks at Jesus, he looks at us And says we are holy. That's our new identity that we have as Christians. In fact, later in this book in Ephesians, that's how the new life is described. It's it's described as someone who's created in God according to true righteousness and holiness. And so all that is ours because we trust in Jesus. We put our faith in him and we become holy ones. That's what it means to be a saint. And really that has an impact on how we live and what we believe. And we're going to see that throughout the book of Ephesians, the impact that, it, that our identity is a saint. So if we put our faith in Jesus, we believe that he's done these things, then we are saints. That's our primary identity. We're not sinners. We're saints. And when I think about this uh, this concept of identity, our core identity as Christians. I always think back when I was a cashier at Home Depot in Louisville. I was going to seminary, but I was working too, and I had this head cashier, and I can't remember his name, but I had this head cashier, and he was he was kind of an older gentleman, and he went to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was a big proponent of it. It had done great things in his life. Uh, He had um, wasn't an alcoholic anymore. Praise the Lord for that. And so he was still involved with it. He was mentoring other people. And uh, so we talked to him some, and he was uh, a professing believer. But it always stood out to me when, it, when he would talk about it that if you're familiar with AA or Celebrate Recovery or other 12-steps programs, I mean, we could talk about those. You could ask me about them later. But uh, I know with AA... What do they say? You introduce yourself, hi, I'm Jerry, I'm a recovering alcoholic, right? And so that's what you say, that's who you are, you're a recovering alcoholic. In other words, your identity, even if you're not still drinking, is you're still a recovering alcoholic. That's still core to who you are, so you have to be aware of that, you have to work against that but I think about this as a Christian and I think, well, the Bible teaches that our identity does change. In other words, we're not recovering sinners. Now we're, we're saints. Fundamentally at our core, we are different. We have been given new life. We've been changed. That's who we are. We are saints. And so whenever we sin, because we still do sin, it's not that that's at the core of who we are and now it's coming out, the Bible describes it as sin that clings to us. It clings tightly to us, right? It's something we have to work to get rid of. It's like it's like when you get tar on your hands. It's hard to clean that off, right? Uh, it clings to us, but it's not something that's at the core of who we are inside of us. It's something that's just still clinging to us. And God declares that that matters, that that identity, who we are at our core matters. If sin is At our core, and we're a sinner, then the the solution is very different than if sin is just something clinging to us still that we need to uh, continue to work on eradicating and growing in holiness. But we are saints, and that matters for our whole life, really our whole trajectory in life, our whole understanding of who God is and how we relate to him and what the purpose of our life is and how we're supposed to live now. That's defined by this idea of being a saint. And we're going to see that as we go through this book in Ephesians. So I'm excited about this. Hopefully y'all are excited. Read the book. You'll get more excited uh, as we continue through it. But Paul identifies himself in this passage. He identifies himself as an apostle by the will of God. And the Ephesian church is identified that Those who believe in Jesus, those who have faith in Jesus, they are saints. And so that identity is a reminder for us this morning. And as we close, we look at verse 2. Paul writes to them, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And those aren't just words to Paul. That's not just a well-wish to Paul. Like He he writes the Bible to them so that they will have grace and peace from God. So he, he follows that up with action. So let's pray this morning as we conclude. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that through your word we receive grace, we receive peace, that your goodness and your truth comes to us in your word. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in the life of Paul, for your patience. We thank you for your patience in our life. That before you saved us, that you were extremely patient with us, that you preserved us, you brought us to the point of salvation. We thank you for that. God, even after we're saved, you continue to be so patient with us as we still work against the sin that clings so closely to us. God, we pray that you will work it into our minds, into our hearts, the depths of our soul, that we understand that we are saints, that you declare that we are holy and righteous before you, And that that will give us peace and joy and change our understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with you. What it means to live in relationship with other people and to show love to others. God, we pray that we will continue to see marvelous truths from your word as we go through this book. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.